Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 159 of the Neutral Corner Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. This is episode 159 for the week of February 23rd. And as I mentioned in recent episodes, this podcast is now on Spotify. We're on Spreaker, Google Play, iTunes. We are everywhere podcasts are found. So guys, go out there, follow us, subscribe, like all that good stuff, and more than any of that, spread the word. We are building this podcast organically. And, you know, I tweeted some stuff out uh, last week or maybe over the weekend just about how most of these podcasts, most of these YouTube channels and Instagram accounts and Twitter accounts build up their subscribers and followers. They buy the shit. And it's really, really easy to spot them because you'll see some YouTube channels with 50,000 followers and the average video that they post, and they post five of them a day, the average video they post gets 100 views, 200 views, something like that. You don't have 50,000 subscribers, and you're only getting two or 300 views. Now, here on Montero Unboxing, what we like to do is we like to post quality. I might only be posting one video a week right now. Those of you who uh, know me, you know that I'm going through a lot right now, uh, unemployment, getting a house together, uh, an engagement. I got all kinds of things going on. I just became an uncle. So, uh, you know, look, more than anything, I'm going to post quality. And every Monday, you guys get the neutral corner. So we are on every platform out there. And I'm going to have an announcement in the next few weeks about live TNC. Yeah, you just heard that. TNC is going live very, very soon. Uh, Not going to have the call-in feature quite yet, but we're going to get the live chat feature going during the broadcast. So uh, as I do the episodes every week, every Monday, probably going to be 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time every Monday. Uh, You guys will be able to chat with me as I go over news and notes and the the, uh, the review and the preview for every episode. And we're going to build in the call-in feature later on once we perfect the live video feature. So you guys are going to have to deal with my ugly mug back on uh, YouTube for TNC very, very soon. And then, of course, even when we go live on YouTube with the podcast, the audio version will be uh, distributed, you know, uploaded and distributed very, very soon after we stop going live. So probably, let's say we go live from 7 to 8 p.m. By 9 p.m., the audio version of the podcast will be all over out, you know, every platform in the world. So, guys, big, big stuff happening. I'm telling you, it's coming. But more than anything, guys, we like to give you quality over quantity here, and I thank each and every one of you for being a part of the journey as we continue to grow organically. We're not buying subscribers. We're not buying clicks. We're not buying followers. It's happening organically, and that's the coolest part. All right, big bombshell dropped today in the boxing world in terms of news and notes, so let's get right to it. So uh, the World Boxing Super Series, finally, finally, after, you know, months and months of nothing, announced some semifinal bouts. They're they're putting everything together because several fighters, really, honestly, between you and me, guys, they threatened to pull out. And it wasn't just one. It was several of them, uh, including some of the favorites to win the tournament, some of the tournaments. 
So they finally are putting together the semifinal bouts. And I was going to spend a lot of time on the news and notes uh, portion of this episode talking about that. But then all of a sudden this morning, I'm looking at all my emails and my tweets. And I'm like, holy shit. This news comes out of left field with Tyson Fury. Announces a deal with a co-promotional deal with Top Rank slash ESPN. Uh, and that just supersedes everything. So uh, the World Boxing Super Series semis, if you guys want to see me do a separate video just on that, I can, or I could just talk about that as those fights get closer in future episodes. But this stuff with Tyson Fury, this changes everything. This just flips not only just the heavyweight division upside down, but really the whole boxing world. Because the biggest potential fight that could happen this year outside of a third fight between Canelo and Golovkin, which I do think is still very possible. The biggest fight figuratively and literally uh, in terms of weight and importance was the rematch between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And that thing was pretty much signed, sealed, delivered for mid-May, probably going uh, just outside New York City in Brooklyn at Barclays. And that really looked possible. And I'm not just saying that because of rumors. You know, I've talked about it in recent weeks, but the WBC, the sanctioning organization involved with that potential bout, they postponed a purse bid. And they went ahead and mandated a an interim title fight between Dominic Brazil and Dillian White. So this thing was basically signed, sealed, delivered. And then, boom, Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King, flips everything upside down. I mean, talk about flipping the script. As I flip my notes to give a sound effect, because <laughs> I don't have sound effects here. Uh, he just flipped the whole boxing world upside down. So, okay. Uh, details about the deal. All right. And, and you guys basically by now, I mean, you know how boxing news works. A lot of you guys probably know all this stuff. So I'm not going to go into crazy detail, but it is a co-promotional deal. Obviously, um, MTK, MTK Global uh, is still advising them. And uh, Frank Warren, Queensberry Promotions, that's still his promoter, Tyson Fury. But For his fights here in the United States, there's this co-promotional thing now with Top Rank. And part of this deal, this is a multi-year, multi-fight deal worth uh, 80 million pounds, which is over 100 million U.S. dollars, um, two fights a year here in the U.S. And Fury's fights will either be on ESPN or even if he fights uh, overseas, ESPN Plus, and then his fights over in the, uh, in the UK will be aired on BT Sports. So that's going to continue, you know, what, what Frank Warren has had set up over there for a while. So it, it basically takes the brand he already had going in the UK and further adds to it here in the USA. So on the surface, this is a great freaking deal for uh, Tyson Fury, right? Probably going to muddy the waters in the heavyweight division for a while, but long term, I think it actually does Big things and better things for the heavyweight division. I'll get more into that in a minute here. But, you know, guys, I know several people in the media, and you guys could probably guess who I'm talking about, that I'm friends with who are in very good with the folks at top rank. I mean, they're friends. They know each other very, very well. And those guys didn't see this coming. This came out of nowhere. But I'll tell you something. If you look at top rank and the way that they do deals, okay, This did not come out of left field for top rank. They've been working on this shit for months now. And I'll tell you why I say that. Look at their recent actions. 
Now, of course, we could go over the history of the way they've done these kind of deals for decades, and I could point to several instances where they did it just like this, but let's just keep it to this instance, okay? Uh, going back to September, Top Rank announced uh, a deal with Frank Warren, Queensberry Promotions, to take their UK cards and kind of do a cross-promotional thing and air them here in the States on ESPN+. At the time, we thought, oh, okay, this is just top rank expanding this ESPN deal. This makes sense. Get some of the UK cards on, on the app to try to get more people buying the app. Okay, well, now, now we can see that that was just the writing on the wall as part of this deal, right? Bob Arum, Frank Warren started working together then. And come on, guys, obviously Tyson Fury negotiations were part of that shit. They've been talking about this thing since last year, last fall, maybe last summer. These things don't come together in two minutes. They don't come together in a week. It happens over months and months. If you're a smart promoter or knows what the hell you're doing, and both Frank Warren and especially Bob Arum are. So you had that deal late last year that came together. Then Top Rank, just out of nowhere, this December, signed a, a co-promotional deal with uh, Kubrat Pulev, who is a top 10-ish Heavyweight, right? He's been in there against some of the best heavyweights. Won some, lost some, entertaining fighter. He still has his promoter that he's been working with, but it's a co-promotional deal with top rank. So a lot of people looked at that and said, why the hell would they do a thing with, with Kubrat Pulev? And again, people kind of scratch their heads, but then they said, you know what? Put him on ESPN Plus if he fights over in Bulgaria. It makes sense. And it may be in the future they could put one of their guys like Bryant Jennings in there against him. Okay, this makes sense. But now we see if they're planning on signing Tyson Fury, you got to have some promotional rights to some other guys. Of course, we know uh, Andy Ruiz uh, has fought with, uh, with uh, top rank for a while. Joseph Parker, Oscar Rivas, who just beat Bryant Jennings. So there's a few guys there that they can kind of feed to Tyson Fury to continue building that thing up. But how does all of this affect the rematch with Deontay Wilder? So... Um, just man, just genius chess play move by top rank, by the way, and by team fury, just, just genius shit that goes, when you really start looking at all the different moves, both sides have been making over the last six months and how it all culminated into today. Holy shit. That's some, that's some chess. That's not checkers. That's chess. Okay. Good stuff from them. How does it affect the fight we want to see? Okay. Deontay Wilder is not contractually locked in with Showtime. PBC has a deal with Fox. They have a deal with Showtime. But Deontay Wilder is kind of this separate entity who has, there's a million different people who have a piece of Deontay Wilder. Seriously, his team, there's a bunch of people. It's not like he just has a promoter and a matchmaker or something. There, there's a several people tied to him. But he can kind of go wherever he wants. However, PBC has a deal, as I just said, with Fox, with Showtime, and Deontay Wilder fights under the PBC banner. So, no way in hell that do I see Deontay Wilder just jumping ship and somehow doing a one-off with any other network. If they do this thing, this rematch, it's going to have to be, not only is it a co-promotion between two different promotional uh, entities and now you could throw top rank into that mix so there's several promoters involved but now there's going to be two networks 
it's somehow it's going to they're going to have to whack up the numbers, but it's going to be Showtime slash slash ESPN pay per view. So how the hell does that work? Do you do a a live broadcast on ESPN pay per view and then do the replay on regular Showtime, something like that? And then how do you whack up those numbers? Uh, how much money does the A side get? How much money does the B side get? Who the hell's the A side now? It, going into the first fight, obviously, Deontay Wilder was the A side. But with this chess play right here, did Tyson Fury just become the A side? Because ESPN is in uh, 100 million plus homes in the United States. The app is $5. I think now there's two or three million people who have the ESPN Plus app. Uh, It's growing now with the UFC deal they just did and everything else, college basketball and all that. That app continues to build up. Showtime, yes, it's a big platform, but it's not in nearly the amount of homes ESPN is. And the pay-per-view that they did on Showtime did 300 and some, I think 325,000 buys, which is nothing to sneeze at. But you have to figure an ESPN pay-per-view Again, I think Showtime is, guys, don't quote me, but I think Showtime is maybe in 20, 30 million homes, something like that. ESPN is in over 100 million homes. So just the promotional opportunities you have there, if you go that route with the rematch, yeah, maybe Showtime's involved in everything, but I'm not so sure Deontay Wilder's the A-side anymore. I know technically he has the title. There's a lot of people out there who think Tyson Fury should have it, but no one gives a shit about the WBC belt. In terms of network uh, power and in terms of promotional power, Bob Arum, top rank, Frank Warren, Queensberry, I don't know, guys. Tyson Fury may have just became the damn A-side. So that's going to make negotiations more difficult. But it also makes the potential for the rematch that much more profitable. There's more eyes on the rematch. You have a bigger reach and a bigger scope here. So, taking all this into consideration, now both sides have said May 18th was, I think, the, uh, the tentative date for, for the rematch. Are they going to be able to put all this shit together and do the rematch May 18th? Hell no. I don't believe that. Now, maybe I'll be proven wrong. It won't be the damn first time. It won't be the last time. But just everything I just talked about for the last 10 minutes, okay? You think they're going to work this shit out in a couple months? I don't see that happening. I'm not saying the rematch won't happen. I'm not saying it's not possible or likely because it's the biggest fight either guy can make right now in the foreseeable future because I don't think Anthony Joshua and his people want to play ball yet. I just don't. They're making too much money fighting whoever the hell they want. And they're trying to establish themselves in the American market now going up against Jarrell Miller in June. So he's off the shelf right now, man. He's doing his own thing. He's doing... Basically what Canelo did for a few years before finally fighting Gennady Golovkin. That's what AJ is doing right now. So keep it to Wilder and Fury. Everything they have to work out with what I just mentioned, okay, as it relates to the different scope of this thing now, you have another promoter involved stateside. You have a huge network involved now. That further complicates things. I think they want the fight. But I, I just don't see them figuring all that shit out, getting all the lawyers and analysts and all these people in the room and, and figuring out all those numbers in just a month or so and making that fight for May. I think it's off. At least for now, that is what I would bet money on. 
Do I think it eventually happens? Yes. Do I think it'll be a bigger fight when it does happen? As long as they don't fuck it up and wait too long? Yes. But for right now, I think it's very likely that Deontay Wilder goes a different route and that Tyson Fury goes a different route and they continue to circle around each other and negotiate that rematch. Uh, let's see. What am I not uh, thinking about here? What am I not mentioning? Um, possible negatives. Well, obviously, Anthony Joshua on the zone. The zone has made a substantial investment in Anthony Joshua. Do I see him fighting on any other platform? Do I see Canelo Alvarez, for that matter, fighting on any other platform? Hell no. They've, they've spent too much money. They've put up too much damn money. Unless, unless, let's just say, let's say Wilder and Fury fight this fall. Let's say Wilder wins. Let's say uh, Steven Espinoza in Showtime goes to the people at the zone and says, we want to distribute a pay-per-view between AJ and Wilder. And we, Showtime slash CBS, will pay you, DAZN, X amount of dollars to do this. And you can have uh, rights to the replay and then and the way in and blah, blah, blah. And they whack it up that way. It is possible because the zone is bleeding money and they need to get started to uh, get a return on their investment. It's possible. It could be worked out. But on the surface, man, when you're putting up that kind of an investment and, and the two guys, AJ and Canelo, you want them fighting on your damn platform because you're putting up all that damn money. So I don't see AJ being a part of this anytime soon. But you've got AJ on the zone. You've got now Fury on ESPN slash BT Sport. And you've got Wilder on Showtime slash Fox. There's always a possibility they could go to Fox and do some kind of pay-per-view there. So you have three heavyweights, a three-headed monster. And it's not just a promotional three-headed monster in terms of their management. It's a three-headed monster in terms of networks. And not just TV networks, but streaming platforms, right? So it's a fucking mess. It's all over the place. I get it. But at some point, guys, money talks, bullshit walks. And I'm going to give you one exception. You know, we always think with these huge, huge deals, right? Uh, the, the, the payoff for the fans is on the back end. If you look at Floyd Mayweather's deal with uh, CBS, where, where he was getting, I don't know, what, 30-something million dollars a fight, and they were dangling the carrot of him and Pacquiao for years. Finally, on the back end, the fifth fight of his six-fight deal, they did the Pacquiao fight, and everybody made their money. But that investment up front, Showtime was bleeding money. They were not making profits. They made a profit on the Canelo fight. But the other three fights, uh, the, uh, the first four fights of that six-fight deal, they lost money on three of them. But on the back end, they knew they had that Pacquiao fight. And in theory... A huge deal like this that between Fury and ESPN, and then we just had PBC with Showtime, PBC with Fox, and then of course AJ going to the zone. These massive deals, right? You think, okay, the big fights we want to see are going to be on the back end. We're going to get a bunch of scrub fights up front. And that's the way it looked when Canelo fought Rocky Fielding last, late last year, right? But then look what happened. Canelo is fighting Daniel Jacobs next. No pay-per-view. They're not charging you 80-something dollars like Showtime charged you for Wilder Fury. That's on regular DAZN. Why? Because they need subscribers. They put up all this money. They've got to get subscribers. Anthony Joshua was going to fight probably Dillian White in April at Wembley. DAZN stepped in and said, wait a second. 
We need AJ fighting in America because we need to start building him up over here. Eddie Hearn said, I don't want to do that yet. I want to delay that till September so I can, you know, further delay the fight with Wilder. They said, no, look, we're putting up the money, Eddie. Bring that shit, bring him over here and bring a fight with him and Miller in New York because we've got to get subscribers. We got to start getting money because we're paying out of our ass and we're not getting a return yet. So that's why I say there are exceptions. Money talks, bullshit walks. So if Tyson Fury this spring goes a different route, fights Kubrat Pulev, nobody watches. ESPN slash top rank slash Frank Warren, they lose a ton of freaking money on it. That's going to help them go to the negotiating table. At some point, he's got to fight Deontay Wilder for the folks at ESPN and for the very smart folks at top rank to make some of that money back. He can't fight Oscar Rivas, Joseph Parker, Kubrat Pulev, and make, this is, this is like $100 million for five fights, I think, guys. Do the math there. They got to fight Wilder to get that payoff. And look, if him and Wilder fight a second time and it's controversial, a la Canelo Golovkin too, you might see a third fight. So there's a lot of possibilities with this thing. It's very fascinating. But it, again, if you really just look at the timeline of events of how top rank and all, all these guys did this, pretty smart shit. Are they going to be smart? It's smart getting this all together, but are they going to be smart now with the play? They got huge opportunities here. They can't dick this up. We'll find out if they do. All right. Uh, lots to review. So let's get into what we saw last week in the ring around the world. Real quick, guys, uh, before I talk about the fights last Friday in Kansas, you know, one more point I wanted to make. One thing that could clean up the possible mess in that heavyweight division with three different guys on three different platforms is the sanctioning organizations. The WBC, WBA, you know, if they can work mandatories and they can uh, have, uh, you know, mandatory situations to get Tyson Fury in there against either AJ or Deontay, or they could uh, do exceptions to have unification fights and things like that. So the sanctioning organizations, for all the shit we give them, they might be the saving grace at heavyweight. Hopefully they are. Let's see what happens. Anyway, last Friday, February 15th, Kansas Star Arena in Mulvane, Kansas. This was a showbox card from Salida Promotions. In the main event, Thomas Patrick Ward, 122-pounder out of the UK, improved to 26-0 with unanimous decision against Jesse Angel Hernandez. And in the uh, co-main, an Uzbekistani native who now lives out of Detroit, Shojahan Ergashev improved to 16-0 at 14 knockouts. Uh, as a southpaw out of Uzbekistan, unanimous decision in a close fight with Michael Fox, who suffered his uh, first loss. Good competitive fight there. And Nico Hernandez, the, the flyweight, 2016 Olympian out of that area, improved to 7-0 with an eight-rounder, a win on an eight-rounder. Also, same day, there was a card in Hinkley, Minnesota. It was top rank on ESPN, and it was at the Grand Casino in Hinkley. Rob Brandt defended his WBA regular middleweight title with a TKO 11 win against Russian Kaisan, uh, Kaisan Baisangarov. Again, this was the first defense of that title he won off of Ryoto Murata back in October. Brandt is 3-0 with two knockouts, 
since his lone defeat to Jurgen Brommer back in 2017. That was at 168. So at 160, Brandt is starting to carve out a little name for himself. And do I put him up there with the top elite fighters in the division, you know, top three or four guys? No, but he's absolutely a legitimate top 10, maybe top five middleweight. And he's a player in that division, man. Uh, Saturday, February 16th, there was a PBC card from TGB Promotions from the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles. This was PBC on Fox. And the main event was absolutely worthless, but entertaining. Leo Santa Cruz uh, defended his WBA super featherweight title, and not super featherweight in terms of the division. It's still 126 pounds, but super belt. You know, the WBA is 5,000 belts. Anyway, it was the third defense for Leo for that title over Rafael Rivera, a Mexican fighter who has now lost three of his last four So, again, as I mentioned last week in the preview, uh, since the Frampton bouts for Leo, he has fought Chris Avalos, Abner, One-Eye Morris, and uh, Rafael Rivera. And by the way, I'm not making fun of Abner Morris when I say One-Eye. Abner Morris is a good guy, a good fighter, and he's carved out a great career for himself. I'm just saying One-Eye in terms of, you know, the level of opposition he, he presents now for fighters. And believe me, Leo and his people... Whether they knew the details or not, management there and that platform, they knew uh, Mars' situation. So um, anyway, just Leo Santa Cruz has had soft opposition since the two Frampton bouts. It's time for him to fight Gary Russell Jr. Shit or get off the pot, guys. That fight has got to happen this year. It's only February. You've got 10 more months in 2019 to get that shit done. Obviously, Santa Cruz is the A-side there. So make uh, make Gary Russell come to Los Angeles. He already came to L.A. before to fight Vasily Lomachenko. So no doubt he'd come to L.A. again. They could do a, a Staples, Microsoft Theater, wherever, StubHub. I'm not going to call it Dignity Health Sports Park. It's still StubHub, damn it. They could do it at any of those venues. But Staples makes a lot of sense. Bring Gary Russell out there. Do the unification. That's the best fight, arguably, the most meaningful fight that could be made in that division right now, at least one of them. But don't forget about Warrington. I think Warrington against Oscar Valdez, that'd be an amazing fight just in terms of styles. But Russell and Santa Cruz are the more proven featherweights. They're the more proven guys, the the more proven names. So that would be a number one versus a number two matchup. I think it's the most meaningful fight that could be made at featherweight. It's an easy fight to make. It has a due date that was two years ago. Make this shit happen. Now, in the co-main, Omar Figueroa beats John Molina. A battle of the juniors. A battle of very inactive fighters. And a battle between one guy who makes weight because he's a professional, that being John Molina, and one guy who never makes weight because he's an asshole, Omar Figueroa. They were going to do this fight at 140. He missed weight. They ended up doing it at welterweight. Yada, yada, yada. You guys have all heard it before with Figueroa, who's a nice guy, honest fighter, you know, fights hard, entertaining, just isn't very professional. That's why I use the word asshole. For uh, Figueroa, he had had one fight prior to this since 2015. Zero fights in 2016. One in 2017. No fights last year. And then this fight. Bulk of his career at lightweight, yet he couldn't make 140 for this one. Comes in a little heavy. Molina has now lost five of his last eight fights going back to 20, 
2014. So he has not been very active. Eight fights since 2014, although he was coming off a strong win going into this one. That was in 2017. He had no fights in 2018. He put up a spirited effort. It was competitive. He won some rounds, but Figueroa clearly won this fight. Now, the decision, there was some controversy on social media because the scorecards were wide. Uh, one judge had it 97-93. I thought that was a fine score. Another had it 98-92. Another had it 99-91, which is definitely too wide. Uh, you know, I mean, Molina won more than a round or two. It, it, you know, it was a competitive fight. But Figueroa won the fight. I thought he clearly won. I, you know, I would give... Uh, I give everybody more shit over the, the, the couple of those scorecards being wide if I cared about this fight. But this is such a meaningless fight that shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't have been televised on Fox. It's more of a Fox Sports 1 level kind of fight or something like that. So I just don't give a shit to care about a couple of the scorecards being wide. And yeah, one judge having it nine rounds to one, that's just a shitty card, obviously. I, I get that. But this fight shouldn't have happened anyway. It could have happened two years ago. So uh, that's why I just kind of don't give a shit, to be quite honest with you guys. Also on this card, Ryosuke Iwasa scores a technical decision against Mexican Cesar Juarez. Iwasa, of course, out of Japan, wins the IBF 122-pound eliminator. Not the title. He had the title. He lost it to TJ Doheny late last year. Now... Even though coming off a loss, he came right into an eliminator fight for the IBF. So I don't know quite how that worked out. But uh, there was a headbutt in the second round, uh, maybe third, second or third round. I think second round. And both guys got cut. But uh, Juarez was cut much worse. And it just, it was a gash. It kept on bleeding. And finally, after the 10th round, goes to the scorecards. Iwasa wins. So he is now lined up to fight for the IBF title. But here's the thing. As I talked about last week, Doheny is going to unify his IBF belt with Daniel Roman, the WBA titleist. So those two guys are going to fight unified titles. And then the winner of that fight is eventually going to have to fight Ryosuke Iwasa. Both of those guys have traveled to Japan before. So who knows, man? Even though in that situation, one guy is going to be a unified champion and Iwasa would be a title challenger, that fight could go to Japan. Because of the economics involved. It could happen. We shall see. But uh, any combination of those three fighting, I think, is entertaining. So that's good stuff. Also on this card, a minor upset. DJ Creel scores a KO in the 12th round over Mexican native. But now he fights out of Westminster. So the SoCal area. Carlos Licona, uh, who suffered his first pro loss. And he takes his IBF minimum weight title. So he dropped him three times in the 12th round. And for Creel, you know, a lot of people, I think, overlooked him, myself included. I thought, I mean, this just, you look at the demographics of the thing. This was set up for Licona to win and kind of be, I don't want to say showcase fight for him, but almost, right? Um, Again, Mexican native, now lives and trains out of Westminster. And he was defending his title for the first time against a guy from South Africa fighting outside of South Africa for the first time. But just like Hecky Butler did last year, another South African fighter who went on the road and kind of pulled a minor upset, same thing Creel did here. So now he is a titleist. So that's for what we saw last week, guys. Uh, let me make sure. I think I covered everything here. 
But uh, let's preview what we got coming up this week in the boxing world. Friday, February 22nd, there are club shows all over the world. And guys, I've noticed something as I've been looking at the schedule this year, especially you know us being so early in the year. I'm seeing club shows every damn weekend, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, even Sunday night, all over. In, in markets that I'm not used to seeing them, at least not as often. It's great. The boxing business right now is having really, really an upsurge at the club level. And I love it, man. I, I, there's stuff on the, on the uh, schedule this weekend in like Tennessee, in markets like that, that you just don't see a lot of cards very often. But uh, Friday, there is a, a, a pretty good card in Ekaterinburg, Russia. So if you guys can find a stream of this, check it out. But there's a lot of Russian-based undefeated prospects. A lot of guys who had very good amateur records. Guys with about 10 wins or so uh, out of Russia. They're not all Russian-born, but from that part of the world. But they're now based out of Russia. And Ekaterinburg, that's, that's a city that has had more and more of these type of cards that I've noticed. And a lot of these young Russian-based prospects are uh, kind of cutting their teeth in that market there and building up a fan base before they branch out is they you know get closer and closer to contender status and start fighting in different markets but uh, if you can find a stream of that one good to go here in the usa though there's a telemundo card from kissimmee florida star boxing is doing a card in uh, from huntington new york that they are streaming on facebook so there's going to be stuff on facebook telemundo and as I said, club shows all over the place. A lot of you guys that are uh, listening to this right now from Texas, from Tennessee, from all kinds of different states, coast to coast here in the USA, you know what I'm talking about. There's cards in your local market. I think that's so awesome, man. I think it's just, it really is an exciting time right now to be involved in the sport. There's all these different things happening. There's changes happening. Some of it obviously is not going to work out, but some of it will. And the, 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 the business is just changing. But one of the good parts of that is we're seeing more club shows. And I'm telling you guys, five years ago, when I really started uh, getting into the sport, you know, covering the sport a lot more uh, aggressively, full-time, if you will, um, I didn't see this many club shows on the schedule. I just, you know, you saw them in LA, you saw them in New York, obviously, but you didn't see them in the secondary and, and third-tier markets. You just didn't see them all the time, especially this early in the year. So it's good stuff, man. Um, anyway, if you guys live in a market where you're having one of those club shows and stuff, let me know, man. Uh, you know, if you're if you're watching this on YouTube, just in the comments section, mention it or talk about it or, you know, tweet me, you know, leave a message or something, um, a DM or whatever, and let me know because I just think it's so cool that we're getting more and more of those kinds of shows in these other markets where it's been missing for a while. I think there's just this resurgence happening that's really, really good for the sport. Anyway, that's Friday. Uh, Saturday, February 23rd, we have a matchroom card from Eddie Hearn from Tijuana, of all places. So Uncle Eddie taking matchroom down south of the border in TJ and doing a card there on the zone, obviously. Matchroom on the zone. Brandon Rios fighting Humberto Soto. That should be fun. Uh, do I think either guy is a serious threat to anybody in their division right now? No, I don't. 
But just style-wise and where this fight is and everything else, this is going to be fun. And look, some of you might be calling me a hypocrite because I just bashed the shit out of the fight between Omar Figueroa and John Molina. And this fight is pretty much at that level. But then again, it's not. Because I think that both Rios and Soto collectively have accomplished more in their career than those other two guys I mentioned before. And these guys will make weight. So it should be fun. Also on that card, undefeated prospect out of Cancun. A lot of people are excited about uh, Joselito Velasquez, who is 25 years old. He's a 2016 Olympian out of Mexico. Flyweight, 7-0, six knockouts. He is currently scheduled against TBA, Tom Bob Anderson, on the undercard. They will find somebody. Whether he's driving a cab right now, he might be riding a donkey right now. Who the hell knows? But they're going to find somebody. And they're going to put him in the ring against this guy. And Velasquez is going to knock him the hell out. It'll be fun to watch. <laughs> From the O2 Arena in London, ITV Box Office is going to air this card in the UK. And it was picked up by Showtime here in the USA. James DeGale fighting Chris Eubank Jr. 12-rounder at 168 pounds. Um, yeah, I don't quite know what to make of this fight. You know, James DeGale is a skilled guy. He's had some quality wins. He's been in there with everybody. 33 years old, been a pro since 2009. 25-2-1 is his record. He's had titles. But he's always a guy that I just felt was a little overrated. I just feel he, some people out there thought he was pound for pound. You know, and I just never thought he was really at that level. But so what? He's a good quality, world-class professional prize fighter. Current, you know, obviously past his best, you know, in this current state. But in terms of skills and, of course, level of opposition, he's definitely a level or two above Chris Eubank. Chris Eubank, pro since 2011, 29 years old, 27-2. and two. So you, on, the, on the surface... Yeah, he's four years younger than DeGale, but when you just look at number of wins, number of losses, when they went pro, these guys, their resumes look very similar. But of course, you start to dissect the numbers and you see what's behind them, and you see just how far behind Eubank is. His best win as a pro was over an ancient, robotic Arthur Abraham, who was another guy that I just always felt was a little overrated. I just never felt he was an elite pound-for-pound level guy, just below that. And Eubank beat an ancient version of him, okay? Losses, obviously, to George Groves, Billy Joe Saunders. Really no shame in that. But as I mentioned before, DeGales fought everybody. Won some, lost some, but certainly won more against more credible opposition than Eubank. On the surface, Eubank looks the part. This is in London. He's a popular fighter, even though he's kind of been exposed to a certain degree. But he comes from that famous boxing family, particularly over there on that side of the pond. He's a brand. This is set up for him to kind of, quote unquote, redeem himself, prove himself, beat a guy like DeGale, who is also a brand. And he should, you'd think, in close rounds... Get the benefit of the doubt from the judges. That's what I see happening here. And I think one of the minor sanctioning organizations, I think it's the IBO, 
uh, not really recognized, you know, at the top of the scale with uh, all the sanctioning groups. But I think they've jumped in here and thrown a belt into the mix. So the winner of this could claim they have a belt. Obviously, nobody's going to rate the winner of this as a top fighter at 168. But, uh, you know, man, I go back and forth because DeGale should box circles around Eubank. He should. He should box circles around him and win a comfortable decision. That's what we should see in this fight. But can Eubank, who is four years younger and in terms of wear and tear, way younger than DeGale, who's been busted up in some fights, can he get through? Can he land something that hurts DeGale? Can he make an impact with a big shot? Particularly late in the fight when you know stamina becomes an issue and DeGale can be a little flimsy, a little floppy, just the way he kind of moves around. Can he get caught with something awkward? I just keep going back and forth. Put a gun to my head. DeGale wins a decision. But then it would not surprise me at all for Eubank to win a controversial decision because of some of the things I just talked about. You know, that has some like a, a majority decision or a split decision. And, you know, maybe he drops DeGale late and that's enough for him to pull out a split decision that a lot of people disagree with. You know, maybe it's a Wilder Fury type of scenario with the scorecards that has people arguing. I don't know. Put the gun to my head, DeGale decision. Okay. Also on this card, the fight I'm most interested in, uh, Joe Joyce stepping up, you know, undefeated heavyweight, right? Uh, you know, good, good run in the amateurs. So far, he's undefeated. I think he's 6-0, 7-0 uh, off the top of my head. I don't have it here in my notes. As a heavyweight, he's now training in Big Bear with Abel Sanchez. Going up against Berman Stavern, who... I understand. <laughs> Hasn't fought since he was harpooned by Deontay Wilder uh, in November 20, was that 2017? I think it was 2017. Uh, so, and he was like 255 for that fight, right? He was a fat ass in that fight. He was a whale and he was harpooned by Deontay Wilder. It was embarrassing. He had no business being in the ring with him. So a lot of people look at this and they say, who gives a shit? Joe Joyce is fighting Berman Stavern. He's going to harpoon that whale again. But here's the thing, guys. I've talked about this in recent episodes. We saw just a couple weeks ago, Deontay Wilder's brother, who I wouldn't put anywhere in the same stratosphere as Joe Joyce in terms of potential, but still undefeated prospect going up against a quote unquote opponent, a guy with over 10 losses, and he got knocked the F out. And the people at PBC quickly scrambled on social media and pulled every instance of the video down that they could find. Same thing when Deontay got dropped by Herod Sconyers. Anyway. Tangent, I know. Joe Joyce, on paper, he's supposed to flatten Berman Stavern, but Berman Stavern's been in there with everybody. Not everybody, but most of them. He has a lot of experience, and he's coming into this fight. Maybe that rest, maybe a year, year and a half off has helped him out. Maybe he's got some focus, and he wants to come in there and derail the, the Joe Joyce train. So you can never take fights like this lightly, especially with heavyweights. So don't sleep on this fight. I want to see it. I want to see what Joe Joyce looks like. Even if it's a, well, we already know it's a faded version of Stavern. Is it a completely shot version of Stavern? If it is, all that experience still matters. And I want to see what Joyce does with a guy like that. And that will tell us a lot about him. And if he's ready to start contending yet, or if he's still a project. So I'm interested in that fight. It's always different with heavyweights, guys. Always. One punch changes everything. 
One other card this weekend, uh, Minneapolis. So Minnesota getting two, two weeks in a row of boxing action out of Minnesota. See, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You're getting cards in markets all over the country that you just don't see as, as many cards as frequently as this. I think it's good for the sport. Although this one kind of doesn't make sense. Minneapolis Armory in Minneapolis, Minnesota, PBC on Fox Sports 1. You have Anthony Durrell, a guy from Flint, Michigan, against Avni Yildirim, a guy from Turkey, fighting in Minneapolis. How the hell does that make any sense? I guess Michigan is close enough to, uh, to Minneapolis. I don't know. Anyway, they're fighting for the vacant WBC super middleweight title. That is the title that David Benavidez used to have, but he... Uh, he sniffed that one away, if you know what I mean. So uh, he no longer has that title, and these two guys will fight for it. Yodiram, to his credit, he won an eliminator in his last fight, a, a title eliminator. So he was in line to fight for that title. He earned his spot. Uh, whether you agree with who he had to beat to get there or not, it was last September in Germany. He won a majority decision against Lolonga Mach, and uh, he has one loss. And of all people, that was against Chris Eubank Jr. Back in 2017, a KO3 loss. So uh, that tells you the level your Durham is at. Yeah, he won the Eliminator, but it was against Lolonga Mach. And his one loss was to the very average Chris Eubank Jr. And it was by KO3. So not exactly the elite level fighting for a title. Go figure, WBC. And uh, Durrell... His best win was when he beat Saki Obika back in August of 2014, which was for this very same belt, the WBC Super Middleweight title. That was at StubHub. I covered that card ringside. That was one of the worst, quote-unquote, title fights I have ever covered. It was god-awful. Just a horrible, horrible fight. My dick is shriveling right now, and my balls are shriveling just thinking about it. It was really, really bad. But he briefly held the WBC title. Lost it in his very first defense by majority decision against Badu Jack. So he's trying to get that title back. And, you know, skill-wise and everything else, and in terms of opposition faced, you got to favor Durrell. He's probably going to win by decision. It's probably not going to be the most scintillating fight you've ever seen. Probably better than his fight with Saki Obika, though. Although they ain't saying much. I took a shit last week that was more entertaining than that fight. But he's probably going to grab a title here. And at some point, David Benavidez will fight Darrell for that title again and knock him out. So round and round and round it goes. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Let me know what you think about this Wilder Wilder Fury rematch situation. What am I missing? I know I'm hitting on some points here, but what am I missing? And then, of course, get the word out. Spotify. Get on there and watch us. Listen to us on Spotify. All right, guys, that's it for TNC 159. I'll see you at the fights.